Got time for a quick story. Imagine you get a get a call from someone and they tell you, Bruce Springsteen is covering your song. Okay, now most of us have never even written a song, so we, we can't relate to not even just writing a song, but having Bruce Springsteen record your song. But okay, imagine that you wrote a song, verse, chorus, gave it a title, gets out into the world, and then someone tells you, yep, the boss, he's going to release it. That's that's really saying something. Mark Blatt had that happen recently. Mark Blatt has recorded and written a lot of music in his career. A lot of commercial jingles, a lot of songs, including one particular song that was recorded by the Four Tops and became a top 15 hit that was recently covered by Bruce Springsteen on Springsteen's 2022 R&B covers album, Only the Strong Survive. Yeah, Mark Blatt has, has he, he put it this way, he, he has written a lot of stuff and recorded a lot of stuff whereby you may not know his name, but you know that music. And he also has new music out, a project called The Distant Thunder, a collaboration with the singer Joe Serrazano, sang in a lot of commercials as well, sang with the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, was the lead singer of Silver Condor. Well, I got the chance recently to talk to Mark Blatt about The Distant Thunder and about the cover of When She Was My Girl. 1981 hit for the Four Tops, now covered by Bruce Springsteen in 2022, talking about all of this and getting some fascinating stories from his career. This is going to be a fun, fun listen, some music history here. My chat with Mark Blatt. Funny how this all comes together all at once within a week. It's incredible. Two two things significant of uh, talking with Mark Blatt today about both the release of the Distant Thunder on November 18th, and we're talking three days after that. It's November 21st. But then also Bruce Springsteen's cover of one of your songs, uh, one of your best-known songs, When She Was My Girl, the Four Tops hit from 1981, which just came out on Only the Strong Survivors R&B Covers album, evidently what his first one. I think he's going to do another one now. But but uh, yeah, that just came out. Um, I want to start with the first first, and that's The Distant Thunder. Um, you talked about it a little bit in the preview video with Joe Sarasano, but, uh, and you've worked with them a long time, but how did the idea come of you guys going, let's do a project. We're going to, where did you get the name? Where did this all originate? Okay. Well, it actually starts with me watching the honeymooners with Bruce Springsteen. Huh. I was, um, I was working with somebody named Rachel Sweet on Columbia records and, um, she told me that somebody was going to come to visit and she needed to go to the ladies room to freshen up. And she said, um, well, why don't you just wait in the lounge till I get out? This is at the power station. So uh, the lounge has these little banquettes and I was watching the honeymooners and uh, this guy walks in and he says, uh, Hey, you seen Rachel? I was like, think she's in the ladies room she'll be out in a minute and he looked kind of lost you know so I said hey man you want to watch the honeymooners with me <laughs> so we just <laughs> sat there yucking it up watching the honeymooners and that was Bruce Springsteen <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, um, you know, at the, at that time, I felt personally that I had never written anything that was worthy of presenting to him. I mean, songwriters always play stuff for each other, you know, and I thought, oh man, I wish I had something to play for him. Of course, When She Was My Girl was a hit, but I never really thought that that was something that significant, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I said to myself, I was 31 at the time, I was like, you know, look at Bruce, man. He, He believes in his songwriting so much, you know, and he just puts it out there. And I'm a songwriter for hire, you know, I, I write for all Celine Dion, Kenny Rogers, The Four Tops, you name it. <laughs> you know? So, or you, so I, I didn't really get a chance to do that. And I said, you know, at some point, I would like to do what he did, which is really create stuff that resonates for me personally. And so that was kind of inspiring. And then six years later, um, I, I had written Hands Across America, mm-hmm. and, um, and and it was really gratifying to do, and, and, and it was quite affirming if you're a songwriter because Kenny Rogers asked me to write it, and then Quincy Jones and Lionel Richie weighed in, and, you know, it felt great that they, you know, they picked this song to be the theme song. But I just felt like um, I still, after that, that, like, you know, I better do something I really, really feel and I can do personally. And uh, I knew Joe because, um, well, Joe is a session singer in New York City. And uh, he had done his first session where I met him was I, I wrote a song with Steve Lunt. Steve Lunt produced and wrote for Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, it was called Love Like Thunder. And Joe came in and he sang it. And I just was just like oh my god so <laughs> i never heard anybody like that you know and we work with a lot of greats you know i mean if you're doing sessions you you have the money to just hire people you know to come in and sing so you can pick anybody and i was like whoa so um we worked together for a bunch of years and he's and then kenny rogers asked me well who would you like to sing hands across america he says you can pick anybody <laughs> right and I was like, well, there's this guy, Joe Sarasano. I think he's going to sound great. <laughs> and there's this gal, Sandy Farina, if you want to do a duet. And I had written The Pride is Back, which was the Chrysler theme song for three years, and Kenny and a single for Kenny. And that that was where I met him, and he sang it with Sandy Farina. <laughs> so I said, well, just use Joe and Sandy. He was like, great. You know, I was like, I couldn't think of anybody better. <laughs> so... Um, so anyway, so a couple of years after that, I I I felt, you know, it takes a certain amount of time and commitment, and and I just felt like I had to make the time and commitment. At that time, Joe and I were working pretty much, you know, we, we were doing sessions, a lot of it for music for advertising, right? And so we were working, I mean, at least from 10 in the morning till it varied, but generally 10 at night to one in the morning doing sessions. And so I said to Joe, oh, oh, and so I was thinking, you know, who can I write this with? Who, whose voice resonates for me in a way that is just purely magical. And, um, 
And the music that I've always loved um, is early Dylan. And then there was a group a popular in Canada. Everybody knows them. I don't know if they know them here. Ian and Sylvia. Mm-hmm. Ian and Sylvia wrote You Were On My Mind. Yes. And uh, there's a young man that I know is Asian. You know. And I was just, those are the two people that I just, they just killed me, you know, when I was a kid. So, so I said to Joe, you know, Joe, I want to do an Americana album because that's the music I love the best. It's not the music I'm known for. <laughs> and of course, what happens, as you know, is, you know, once you get known for something, if you do voiceovers and you do this one commercial and everybody says, oh, man, he sounds great. You got to use him. And then you have to imitate yourself. Mm-hmm. You can't be different. It's like, oh, my God. You know, Typecasting. No, Luke, I want you. We were doing a session with, um, well, we were supposed to do a session with John Sebastian from The Loving Spoonful. And my wife is an incredible music producer. And she was the uh, founder of this super duper large um, music for advertising company in New York. And um, so anyway, so somebody said, I want John Sebastian to sing the song, this commercial. I don't know. It might have been Richie Havens wound up singing it, but I think it, why do things taste so good? I'll tell you why. NutraSweet is why. NutraSweet, right? (laughs) So she calls John and John says, well, I no longer sound like John Sebastian. <laughs> oh, but what? This is the, this is the guy you want. <laughs> so <laughs> it's funny, you know, right? Yeah. Like, they're know. not them anymore. I mean, they are, but they're not. Yeah, exactly. They, they so- are right. 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 So anyway, so, um, yeah, so I love Joe's voice, and I wanted to do this Americana thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I said to Joe, I, you know, I know you're really busy and everything. How about if we get together at 8 o'clock in the mornings on Monday morning, and we'll work for four hours till 12? So I won't take any bookings. You don't take any bookings. And we did that for four years, every Monday. Come hell or high water, <laughs> we just wrote these songs, you know? It's like, and uh, after two years... Um, we wrote Healing Hand, and that's the first single. And after that, I felt like this this weight lifted off my shoulders. Like, oh, you actually can write as well as you th- think you had the potential to. So that's just an incredible, an incredible song. It's, you know, um, some of my favorite songs would be uh, in the tradition of... Um, the sort of music that I grew up liking would be like um, uh, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down, mm-hmm. uh, Joni Mitchell's uh, Free Man in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, just these songs that are just um, highly unusual and original. Mm-hmm. And once we did that, I felt like a weight lifted off my shoulders. And then we needed to put a band together. And this is a funny story. Um, I figured we'd start with a guitar banjo. So um, we know Eric Weisberg. We knew him. He's passed away. But he he was dueling banjos. Remember that? Yep. <laughs> and he's a great guy. He's a, he's a generation older than we are. So uh, he was there in the 60s 
playing in the village for everybody. And so I heard him play our song. I go, oh my God, that's amazing. And he and he said, well, you know, what did you used to listen to? And I said, well, Bob Dylan and Ian and Sylvia. And he said, I played on that Ian and Sylvia record you're talking about. <laughs> and then wow. there's a great Dylan story, which I have to tell you because this is, musicians really, you know, they're, they're always judging people about how well they can play, you know? Mm-hmm. And and uh, it's like, you know, singers, they'll say to me, I, some some singers or even musicians have said to me, you know, I don't think Madonna's very good. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's great at being Madonna. Uh, you know, it's like, it's like when Chevy Chase said, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. You know? it's, like, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, so... Anyway, so anyway, so, you know, so Erica's telling me about Ian and Sylvia and, and I'm just, you know, I'm just enthralled and in awe, you know. And so then we start talking about those times and I tell him, you know, there were some really just brilliant people around. Like, I think Bob Dylan's a genius, right? I think he is. And Eric gets, he gets mad at me. He goes, Bob Dylan's no genius. You want to know a genius? Woody Allen's a genius. Right? So, so anyway, I'm thinking to myself, that's just like such a musician, you know? But anyway, so then he told me this story and it was supposed to be deprecating, but I, I really understood it well was, um, okay, so Eric, there used to be a music row in New York City on 48th Street and Manny's was one of the main stores, okay? Mm-hmm. Where you go for supplies. So Eric is bought some strings at Manny's and he walks outside and out of the corner of his eye, he sees Dylan coming down the street, right? <laughs> he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to, Dylan used to sleep on his couch. He's like, I don't want to see this guy. Right. So he quickly scoots across the street and hides behind a bus. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, a truck, a truck. <laughs> right. So anyway, so Dylan <laughs> chases after him. <laughs> Finds him, <laughs> and he says, to Eric, "Hey man, how's it going?" No, without any like, what are you doing here? Didn't you want to? Is it you don't want to see me? Nothing like that. It's just like, you know, just like oh, you're behind a truck hiding. Oh, okay, Eric. Okay, so Dylan, Dylan says to Eric, "Um, Eric, I'm doing a session tonight for this album, and some of your friends are going to be there." And Eric's like, nah, I don't know, Bob, you know, I don't, I'm not, he doesn't really want to do it, you know, because he thinks Div- Dylan's not that great and he's difficult <laughs> to play with. I don't know, you know, you're talking about these, these masters. And so, uh, so wow. Bob convinces him to go that night. Okay. And so this is Eric's story. So Mark, we were in the studio. It was me, Charlie Brown, and Hugh McCracken. These are Hugh McCracken played do 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 do. Mm-hmm. And he also played with Lennon, and he played the solo on the Thrill Is Gone. Yeah, I, I heard a story about that. That, but I'll, I'll tell you that later. So anyway, so Eric says, "Man, you know," I said, "What was it like?" He goes, "Man, you know, we just did take after take." He could never play the same song twice. You know, so I was like really pissed off. And I said, well, what was the track? He goes, 
blood on the tracks. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so you get that, you get that, you know, you have a musician, all he's wondering about is can Dylan play the guitar the same way twice? He can't, he sucks, right? <laughs> but he's Dylan. That's the thing. I know, I know, I know. And the other story I heard is, um, this is from Eric Troyer. Uh, Eric Troyer sings a lot of background stuff. He's he's incredible. And he sang Uptown Girl. You know, he does all the backgrounds for Billy Joel. And I mean, just everybody. Mm-hmm. And he was at a session with Lennon. And you McCracken started playing this, this just riffing. And Lennon went to him. Oh my God, that's the solo from The Thrill is Gone. And Hugh McCracken goes, yeah, I played that solo. And John Lennon went down on his knees and bowed down to him. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so that kind of inside musician ball. You know? But still, that's, I mean, yeah, you've seen a lot of that in your career. You've heard of a lot of that in your career. Um by the way, when did you record the session? You, and obviously, you said Weisberg has passed. When did you record the session with him? I see on the on the Distant Thunder website it references the the live band. When yeah, did you record originally with him? in nineteen ninety two. Okay, and then um, and then uh, I wanted to revisit all the songs uh, without musicians because um, I. I I, I'm, I'm a real simple, primitive player, and I like the musicians to, to play that way. And in New York City, practically every studio musician wants to be in Steely Dan. You know? <laughs> so they come to your sessions and you want them to play like Credence, you know. Can you play like you did when you were 15? And But they have the technique now. They have this technique. So they're really, it's hard for them to do. And they hate you for it. <laughs> They despise you for it. It's just like it's pulling teeth because they want to impress each other, right? They don't right. care about me, right? So they are trying to impress each other. And I'm like, can you play it simply, please? So anyway, we moved down to South Carolina about four years ago. And everybody here plays exactly how I want them to play. <laughs> and so re- anyway, so I, I said to Joe, um, you know, I'm going to study Logic Pro, which is a, mm-hmm. a recording system you can buy. And um, I really got into it. And I said, well, I'm going to just play and program all of the instruments and everything, and you'll sing. And so I do the tracks down here in, in uh, near, I'm near Charleston and send the tracks up to Joe, and Joe would sing them. And then, um, you know, when you finish with the song, you know, you feel like it's done. You then do, <laughs> you you do what's called mastering, mm-hmm. which is I guess it's kind of like putting wax on a car or something. You know, it just yeah. it just brings out. And so most of my all of my career in New York, I was working with these incredible musicians and mastering people, but they never got the sound that I wanted. The sound that I wanted was like Cat Stevens' uh, "T for the Tiller Man." Mm. It's a very English sensibility. Anyway, you know Fiverr, you, you know that there's a place called Fiverr where you can hire people who freelance. Never heard of that. No. Yeah, it's F I V E R R. Okay. You can check it out. So I I use it if I want to find a singer, 
an engineer. So anyway, I found this guy on Fiverr who will master for $10 a song. Usually it's like $500, $700. And he's in England. And I sent him one song to try to master, and it came back, and it sounded like the Cat Stevens record, you know, <laughs> just pristine. And so, um, yeah, so I just played all the instrument, you know, put, did the arrangements and stuff. And then Joe sang it, and then I mixed it, and then we sent it to this guy in England for $10 a song. They got these incredible pristine masters. The sound of the Distant Thunder album is just it's extraordinary and part of the reason is because so i was pretty much producing every day right i was writing and producing every day probably write four or five hours a day and then produce maybe six hours a day and i was getting to use these guys that were just amazing engineers like josh abbey josh abbey engineered um addicted to love mm -hmm. And he also did two two Dylan albums, and I'm a big fan of his. So, um, so the sound that the sound that they were going for was the sound the sound that I hear in my head, which is a great thing, you know. Like that's your oh yeah, let's go for that. Oh, he's only the best engineer working at the best studio in the world, right? <laughs> but I was able to recreate that on Logic, you know, and and so I sent Josh the record when it was done and he just he was like oh my god this is amazing and i was thinking of course i couldn't have done it if i hadn't spent so many hours in the studio with you you know <laughs> but so that's definitely an advantage you know that you have when you're well you had in the back in the day which was every session you did you were using people like say will lee you know mm -hmm. from letterman or I mean, just every, every every great musician in the world was available to you. And every studio was because the budgets were unlimited. I produced Rachel Sweet's album in 1981. It took six months. I think I made $5,000 and it was painful. I mean, it was excruciating. Two years later, I did two radio spots for Chrysler Plymouth. The budget was $89,000. <laughs> it took an afternoon. Wow. I was like, oh, man, I got, I got to do more of this. And, and the way I got introduced to who was now my wife to the world of jingles was there's a I wrote a song called Street Justice. It's a classic. If you were into hip hop, you would know it. People from all over the world are always emailing me. Mark, I did it in 1981, and the three guy, the three guys in the studio with me, because you know nobody had a, two nickels to rub together, right? Was Jay Rifkin, who wrote some of the Lion King, right? Mm -hmm. he, he was one of the guys, and he started a company with Hans Zim, not Hans Zimmer. I'm trying to think who that big, anyway, a big Hollywood guy. And then the other guy was Larry Gottlieb, who's my writing partner. And, um, you know, we wrote all this stuff together, but he also went down to Nashville and wrote Believe Me, Baby, I Lied, which was a Grammy winner for him. That's a weird story. I was watching the Country Music Awards. Oh, it was a Country Music Award winner with my wife. 
And I hear this song and I said to Gene, oh my God, that what a great song. I have to call Larry. He's in Nashville right now. So I call Larry and say, hey, Larry, I'm listening to this song. He goes, what is it? I said, believe me, baby, I lied. He says, I wrote that. <laughs> I mean, really, <laughs> really, he's a character. So, yeah, so, so he was there. And then the other guy was Jimmy Braylauer. If you look him up, he's played on uh, the Steve Winwood hits. He, he's on mm -hmm. 400 hit records. I used to play in a, uh, a nightclub band with him but I, I don't know like a club gig you know we go to the he was the drummer and then the last guy was robbie condor now robbie oh, at that time was touring with james taylor but he also tours with carol king and no no at that time sorry robbie was touring with eric clapton and um but he also tours with um carol king james taylor i mean he's just the guy that back then he wasn't <laughs> i mean he was playing with eric clapton that's a gig right yeah so um anyway so we're in the middle of a session and doug morris calls me doug morris at that time was president of atlantic mm -hmm. now he's head of universal and he plays me a song that laura Branigan sang that i'd written you know laura Branigan. Yeah. Gloria. oh yeah, yeah. Right. So she had sung the song to me over the phone and I thought it was great. And then Doug called me to play the finished product and it was just awful. It was like, oh, it was so horrible. I had begged him to let me produce it and he was like, I can't do it. So I, so he played me and it was just horrible. And really, I was really shook up because it was so bad and the song was so good. you know. <laughs> And wow. he's Doug Morris. So what am I going to tell him to do? Hey, Doug, I'm never going to work with you again. Right. No. Just go, you, I go, it sounds great off the phone. Right. <laughs> you know, that's how you do it. Right. You want to work? Oh, Doug, it's great. It's amazing. Like, and, you know, and then you just start crying because it's so bad. <laughs> so anyway, so Robbie Condor sees me in the, in this shape that I'm in. And he says, you know, man. He says, I'm going to introduce you to somebody. You're going to make a lot of money and have a lot of fun. And he introduced me to my wife. <laughs> and that's how I started doing music for advertising. And so, uh, I mean, Joe and I worked together on tons of commercials. Like he sang, good year, take me home. Take me home. Good year, take me home. He also sang, the rock, the prudential, above and beyond. You know, lots of stuff. Uh, for me so so what i did is i you know new york's expensive you know yeah. and so i i basically focused on that most of the time and then this every monday morning i would write with joe and then once in a while i'd write with this guy ken cummings he he just got a grammy for les paul's last album he produced sting and uh Eric Clapton and stuff. Anyway, so we would write together and um, he's a great writer. And um, yeah, and one of the things I wrote with him became a big hit in Europe and then uh, it's called Higher Ground. And then uh, Celine Dion sang it in, in French and it's on her greatest hit box set. And the way that I found out was 
I was, at the time we were living in Nicaragua, my wife and I bought a house in a remote beach in Nicaragua. I mean, it's really in the middle of nowhere. It's a half hour to the nearest town of 15,000 people. But we were living in this, in this house on the beach, overlooking the beach on the Pacific coast. And um, there, you know, there wasn't anything to do all day. We were just having a ball. It was like, you know, just me and her, <laughs> our pool in the ocean. It was like heaven. And, um, and, and uh, I went on the internet one day and Googled myself just because I'd never done that before. And I, I knew you could. And I saw that Celine Dion had cut my song. I had no idea. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I had to get a publisher to collect the money. I was just, uh, wow, you know, nobody told me. And that's kind of how it is. It's uh, The business is strange. The way I found out Bruce didn't, when she was my girl, even though three of my friends are singing on the record, none of them told me. <laughs> now, it's quite possible they didn't know I wrote the song. You know, that's possible, too, because, you know, I mean, I think one way you keep working is to just uh, the less you say, the less they can get you for. So I don't tell anybody anything. Now, I do this in the radio interview, but in real life, do I tell people, oh, I got a Grammy now? Oh, I wrote. I, right. No, <laughs> no. So all these people are like, I didn't know you wrote this song. Anyway, so. Um, yeah. I forgot where I, I forgot where how I was uh, going. you found out about Bruce oh, yeah, yeah. covering that. So okay, so thirty years ago, no more, forty years ago, I was introduced to a guy named Mark Freed. And Mark Freed at the time was in one of the people who assigned mem were, were, were worked in membership for BMI, which is a like ASCAP. Mm -hmm. And I was introduced to him by my attorney, Bob Epstein. Um, Bob Epstein, I mean, when he was starting out, I used him. And later he, he became big. He was like, he represented Michael Bolton and um, one of my favorite writers, Desmond Child. Mm -hmm. He just represents a lot of people. He's like a superstar lawyer. But back then he was just, you know, some guy somebody told me to use. And he introduced me to Mark Freed. And then um, Mark and I had... Uh, a mentoring program every month writers would come like lisa loeb remember lisa loeb mm -hmm. from stage? she'd be up there that was a funny thing too she said to me once mark how much money do you think i'm going to make if i have a hit okay she hadn't had a hit she would just write you know this is like a songwriter's thing these are like people just coming from the deli or wherever they were you yeah know? Like nobody's thinking about what I'm going to have when I, what am I going to do when I have a hit record, you know? Right. I, at that point, I, I, I just felt like the luckiest man in the world, but you know, I didn't expect, you know, it's like winning the lottery, having a hit record. If you have two of them, it's like, what are you crazy? So anyway, so she, I, she says, how, uh, she says to me, Mark, how much do you think I'll make? I said, I don't know, Lisa, maybe $300,000. I mean, I was just picking a number, you know, I had no idea. And she goes, that's all. I was thinking to myself, wow, I hope she makes, I hope she makes more than that when she has it. <laughs> but I was just thinking, you know, she just like, that's, that's something. That was really something. Huh. Fascinating. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, so anyway, for 10 years, my wife had this company and we had 
when we started it out, it was just a walk up. When she started out, it was a little walk up in in a kind of like a, I don't know, not a fancy place. And then eventually, within a couple of years, it became huge. And we had these offices on Fifth Avenue with studios. And so every once a month, we'd host all these songwriters to come over and play their songs. And anyway, Mark went on to um, start Spirit music which is a huge publishing company and then it became so big wall street bought him out and then he started another company called mojo music entertainment they represent garth brooks they represent these amazing cat this amazing catalog and so um i said to him um mark now that you have mojo i need somebody to administrate my songs because i'm not collecting money on on a lot of them he said he'd do it. And um, and then, uh, so he's my buddy, right? So I get an email from Mark Freed. He says, Mark, Bruce, cut your song. That's all. <laughs> Bruce, cut your song. And so I went online. I was like, Bruce Springsteen, Mark Blatt. I see Rolling Stone. Oh, he cut when she was my girl. It's going to be on his new album. So I asked Mark, I said, how come you didn't call me? He said, well, I'll tell you the truth, Mark. I didn't believe it. it took me 10 minutes. <laughs> and Sarazano, when I told Sarazano, Joseph, Joe, mm -hmm. he, he said, I got to get off the phone. I said, Joe, Bruce Springsteen cut off, just cut one of my songs on his record. Joe said, I got to get off the phone. I said, okay. Anyway, he calls me back 10 minutes later. He goes, Mark, I got to tell you how to get off the phone. I was on my ass. <laughs> I was on my ass. <laughs> I was speechless and I had nothing to say to you. So I had to recover. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Um, we only got the, the, the Zoom will cut off here in like seven minutes. So in the last yeah, sure. five or so, so I want to get this in quick. Uh, and you maybe you've told the story before in other settings, but, but you're the writer, co-writer, I should say. How did that song originate to just to, to the genesis of it back in the early 80s and to get it to the four tops because right. it's been okay. rolling through my head the whole time and i remember hearing it on the radio when i was a kid right. so yeah it's memorable how did that happen right okay well my partner larry gottlieb he's like my brother from another mother right so i met him at a party when we were 23 and we just started writing together so one night one day he comes and he says to me uh, we always write at his place and uh he says to me i i wrote this song last night I said, let me hear it. He said, he plays it for me. I said, man, this song is great, Larry. And he tries to get me to play the bass part on the keyboards. And I don't have any rhythm. So, because it goes rest, boom, 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 mm -hmm. boom, boom, boom. <laughs> so he's got all that in his head, you know? And I can't. So, anyway, I said to Larry, you know, that sounds like a hit song to me. And at the time we were both signed to MCA, so we have a budget of $500. So I said, well, why don't we cut this? We'll find a recording artist that we like, somebody who can sing and bring them up to the studio. And so Larry and I go up to Connecticut to record the song. The, the, one, of the, one of the guys was played on it was Kashif. Kashif produced, you give good <laughs> But at that time he was dirt poor and five years later he bought the jackie robinson estate near where my mother lives that's a whole other story <laughs> but anyway so 
Mike Milius is our publisher at MCA, and he plays it for Dave Wolfert. And Dave Wolfert goes, well, I think this song is a smash. Larry and I had taken the record around to, of our version of it to a lot of record companies. And he said, well, it sounds like a hit, but I don't want to break a new act. You know, this guy, I don't, nobody knows him. It's not like, you know, he's not Luther Vandross or somebody, you know? <laughs> so we're like, okay. So we just give up. And uh, then uh, Mike Millius plays it for Dave Wolfert. And Dave says to Mike, it needs a chorus. So I say to Larry, Larry, it needs a chorus. Dave wants us to rewrite this. And this is Larry, classic Larry. I'm not going to rewrite it. That song is perfect as it is. And I'm like, okay, Larry, I'll rewrite it. Okay. So then uh, Dave Wolford asked me if I had rewritten it, and I hadn't. But I sort of had an idea how it would go. So he was on the phone with me, and I just said, okay, Here's the chorus, Dave. Play a four chord. And then I sang, when she was my girl, there was laughter. Mm -hmm. Now go to the one chord. My world every day. Then play the four chord again. When she was my girl, oh, Josh, she would bring. Now play the two chord. But I've lost everything. She's gone. And that's your chorus, man. That's your chorus. And he said, oh, that sounds great. I was like, okay, so... <laughs> Did you just kind of come up with it almost on the fly there? Or did you think about that a yeah, little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I loved Larry's version, you know, and and um, and he was my partner. And, you know, in a way, I didn't want him to betray him, you know. I, right. I probably should have said, hey, Dave, we're not going to, you know. But that's not me. But that is Larry. That is Larry to a T. <laughs> to a T. He is the most contrary person you will ever meet in your life. So... Um, you know, that's how it happened. And then Dave did the arrangement. At the same time that was happening, Stevie Nicks was recording a song of ours called Shiver. And that's our most recorded song ever, but it's never been a hit. And so I think Larry was thinking, oh, four tops, they're old, but Stevie Nicks, wow. <laughs> Whereas I was just thinking, four tops, are you kidding? <laughs> wow. So anyways, the song never came out with Stevie Nicks, but the song came out with the four tops. And this guy, Dave Wolfert, who wrote it, uh, not wrote it, he, he had me rewrite it, but he arranged it and produced it. He, he did a masterful job. Um, some of the arrangement, there's a, there's a synth line in the original that goes, boo, 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 mm -hmm. boo. That's Kashif. Ah, That's Kashif. Makes sense, yeah. And the other guy, there was another drum. There's a guy on on drums also who's like this incredibly famous drummer, Kevin, Trevor Gale, Trevor Gale. So he became a big time producer. <laughs> so I mean, the guys on the record are monsters. You know, I mean, on the demo were monsters, and we didn't have an instrumental. So I said, Larry, I'll go into the studio, and I went boom, ba boom, 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 ba boom, 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 which Levi took and, you know. I mean, right. So, you know, it was really a combination of things and a lot of luck, you wow. know, a lot of luck. Wow. What an incredible story. The Distant Thunder, now out. The Bruce Springsteen cover of When She Was My Girl, now out. Mark, this is, you got about 30 seconds left here, but how are you feeling right now with both of those out in the last, just in the last week and a half? totally joyful 
ecstatic and grateful. I am super duper grateful to have something like this happen in your life. It's just a miracle. So I'm basically walking on cloud nine right now. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank yeah. you for all the writing that you have done and more i'm sure to come in the future that's what that's what you do mark uh, blatt thank you very much uh, for taking some time to chat with me and chat with us today and all the best going forward well thank you so much luke i greatly appreciate it a fun chat with mark blatt uh i, I feel like i could talk to him for about eight hours and get so many more stories and maybe there'll be even more in there. That was, uh, hopefully you learned a lot even listening to this interview. Now, if you want to learn more about what he's up to, more about the Distant Thunder, well, go to, well, his website is markblatt.com and that's M-A-R-C-B-L-A-T-T-E.com. M-A-R-C-B-L-A-T-T-E.com, markblatt.com. The Distant Thunder has their own website. It's thedistantthunder.com, thedistantthunder.com. Go there and you will get information about that project, The Distant Thunder. You can find that new album, The Distant Thunder, at a lot of the usual locations. You can stream it, buy it, etc., etc. And then, of course, that cover of When She Was My Girl on the Bruce Springsteen R&B Covers album, Only the Strong Survive, also out as of November 11th. This has been the latest edition of Got time for a quick story. Thanks to my employer, Greatest Hits 98.1 Radio in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, for providing the facilities to do a lot of these interviews. You can listen to and, in some cases, watch these interviews like this one uh, at GreatestHits981.com. Go to Features, and it'll take you to Interviews. You can also go to our YouTube channel, where we have a lot of our interviews as well. Uh, thanks to Hadley Wolfram and the folks at Chipster PR for helping to set up this interview with Mark Blatt. Um, and also you can find this podcast, Got Time for a Quick Story, on a lot of the usual platforms. Subscribe to it so you know when new episodes arrive and rate it, preferably higher, so the word spreads about this podcast. Got time for a quick story? I'm Luke Anthony.